Okay, good to see you this evening. I'm taking a big risk by having this uh, mic up here, uh, but I don't know how else to run a Bible class without being down here. I uh, hope you got a sheet uh, as you walked in on uh, first uh, text there. We have three different texts, Matthew chapter 19, verse 3 through 8, uh, Genesis 2, 23 and 24, and then also Deuteronomy 24. Uh, this is really a follow-up, and we're going to do this as a Bible class, so just pretend it's Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Uh, this is a follow-up on our Luke study that we had uh, when we were back in December. We crossed over chapter 16, uh, uh, chapter 18 and verse 16 of the book of Luke, where Luke mentioned whoever puts away his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries the one who is put away commits adultery. And we said that really wasn't the time to talk about that at that point. We had to stop and spend quite a bit of time. So we didn't want to do that. And I promised that we would take a look at this in a class just with ourselves on a Sunday evening. So that's what we're doing. As you see at the top, this is uh, number one. There will be uh, probably at least three lessons, I would imagine, could be four that we will do once a month uh, on this particular subject. By way of introduction, let me just uh, mention that uh, it, is, uh, it is one of those subjects that uh, God basically forced me into studying very, very early on uh, because I grew up in California, and uh, California has uh, uh, preachers out there. By the way, preachers out here do, too, have a lot of different views. They just don't tell you. I, I, know a lot of them, and, uh, but they won't mention it out here because it's not popular, but I will hear them preach about it when they're visiting California. Uh, at any rate, uh, it forced me into that within the second year that I was preaching into having to study this, and I've really studied it repeatedly over and over again, uh, though I have not had uh, formal public debates on this. I have had public debates on it, uh, and, uh, and I've had individual debates on it, and in so doing, I've learned just about every view there has been that's passed around the Brotherhood. Uh, I've read uh, more books than I can think of, of different views that have come across, just always using that to examine my own position, for one thing, and to be aware of uh, the kind of teaching that's out there. And I say all that to say, this, that I do not expect to teach this, and everyone here is supposed to line up with the way I see these texts. This is a Bible study in which we're seeking truth together. Uh, there are things I can certainly be corrected on and might be wrong about, and I'm glad to hear that. And there are things that we all need to study as time goes by. And after all, it took me years of study to come to uh, the positions that I take right now, and as I said, I still re-examine those and go back and, and check them out. I don't expect uh, anybody that I ever study with just, voila, you know, because Barry said it, then that means it must be true. So it's not going to bother me if you say, well, you know, my view right now on this is, that, that's, that's fine. Uh, I'd be happy to hear that. Yes? when they are in the situation. Yes, I have seen that many times uh, where, uh, in fact, I've even seen it among preachers. 
uh, Chip and I know a preacher uh, that was exactly that way until it affected him. He had a very staunch uh, view on that subject. And uh, then once uh, he found himself in a similar situation, he decided to, to change his view. I've seen it when people's kids uh, got involved and then they changed their view on behalf of their kids. Uh, I know a couple right now that I have loved dearly a good part of my life that uh, their daughter decided to come out as uh, uh, lesbian or whatever, and so they changed their views on that. And uh, so it, it, uh, those kinds of things can, can certainly uh, affect us a lot of times. We need to be careful that we look at the Scripture for what it is, regardless of the consequences. The best time to talk about this is when no one in our congregation uh, is in the middle of a divorce. That's, that's always a good time to talk about it because it can be very emotional uh, type of subject. And uh, so it's always good to talk about these things and, and prepare ourselves uh, for them. So what I'm going to ask you to do, let's, let's read together Matthew 19, verse 3 through 8. And I'd like you, as we're reading it, to, to mark certain words or phrases that you think would be significant for us to talk about. So that, that, uh, that's the first thing that I would suggest that, that we want to do, is just kind of get all the facts on the table here and see what, uh, what is being said. All right, so Matthew 19, beginning in verse 3, And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Excuse me, separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Now, of course, that's not everything in the text of Matthew 19, but I want to take this section at a time, and we'll talk about the rest of the text in another, in another study. Uh, but, but first off, we see just all these things that are put on the page here. Just throw some things out as what you would think in this text is important for us to uh, notice and certainly examine or to have certainly have questions about be some of the things you see there. Curiosity here, you know. In other words, you read a word or a phrase and you say, what, what does he mean by that? They want to know the cut and dry, yes or no, law. All right. So the discussion is about what is lawful. That's a a pretty nice thing to realize that Jesus is talking to a group of people who want to know what's lawful and what is not lawful. Uh, We don't always have that uh, uh, privilege of talking to people who even really care what what the law says. So that's, that's good. Okay, uh, uh, Wayne brings up the idea of here they're asking about what's lawful. 
but uh, in this theocracy, there are certain things in the law of Moses that God might have allowed, and he uses that word in the text, that wasn't actually lawful. And so that's an interesting point to bring up, absolutely. Uh, Belinda. It was interesting. Pharisees, and secondly, it's a test. Okay. Testing this yeah. is not just an innocent question. Yeah. So right off the bat, they're testing him, which would indicate maybe what about their heart here? Not maybe really uh, interested in the truth, but instead, as so many times, when they test Jesus, they're trying to catch him in something. Uh, what would you suggest is the catch? Yeah, Adam. Well, I was, I'm not going to answer your question. Okay. Similar, though, but I think it's also important to know that, think about that this question is posed. The fact that the question can be posed means that there's disagreement about what's lawful and that the question is potentially is at least partly the fact that popular opinion is potentially different than at least some of the lawful side of the opinion. Yeah, a good, good point. As usual, when there are these tests, there's a popular opinion about the answer, and they are figuring that they can catch Jesus by not taking the popular opinion, or if he did take the popular opinion, accuse him of being, as we would... Uh, throw away, uh, foolishly a lot of times throw around the phrase well they're just liberal and uh, so there's there's that we can throw around that phrase so here you're going to be lumped in with the popular opinion or are you going to uh, take take the hard line and not be popular so that that brings up the fact that there were two basic opinions there's two rabbis that had placed their uh teachings before the people in the past prior to this. One was Rabbi Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L. -L -E -L. Rabbi Hillel taught that when Moses said, uh, you know, like you can look down at Deuteronomy 24, finding some indecency in her could put her away. His interpretation of that was very, very broad. Uh, you could divorce your wife for any number of reasons. In fact, can anyone tell me what prophet condemned the people for divorcing their wives uh, flippantly? Malachi, that's right. Malachi 2, God really uh, whacked on them uh, for uh, not uh, holding to the covenant uh, that they made with the wife of their youth and instead uh, disposing of her and uh, going after uh, another woman. Uh, so that had been going on for quite some time. And Hillel basically backed that up and said, you can find some indecency. You probably heard me mention before some of the weird ones, as if you burnt the, burnt the biscuits in the morning, or you, uh, my favorite is if your wife did a little pirouette or twirled in the street. How embarrassing. I have to put her away. Uh, well, I'd divorced Teresa 19,000 times. She's always spinning around having fun, you know, so, which I love and the reason I married her. So, anyway, you have, uh, you have that. So there's these two views, 
Uh, what view do you think the disciples uh, took? Now, that's not on the text here, but if you were reading it in le the later text in Matthew 19, you'd get an idea of what view they took. Yeah, when Jesus says in verse 9, whoever puts away his wife, except for the cause of fornication, and marries another, commits adultery, their answer was, well, Lord, it's better not to marry. Man, if we can't dump her on the least little thing, that, then wow, uh, this is really locking us in. I mean, you, you, you have an amazing mentality, even among the 12 here, that they would respond that way so quickly understanding that they could not just divorce their wives for any reason. So anyway, you can see that that is the, the flavor of the day. Rabbi Shammai, who was the other teacher, teacher uh, he took the view that fornication was the only reason for divorce and remarriage. And as a matter of fact, we see, of course, in Matthew 1, we see Joseph deciding to put Mary away divorce her secretly because uh, he didn't want to embarrass her, but he, was, he, was, he believed that she had committed uh, fornication and had to be convinced, of course, by the angel that that did not happen. Jesus, God himself, uh, in the book of Hosea, speaks of divorcing Israel. She is, Hosea 2, verse 2, she is not my wife, I am not her husband, let her put her adulteries away that are between her breasts. He very clearly refers to a divorce that he does against Israel for the cause of fornication. So God even teaches that personally. You know, you kinda, it's kind of weird to think, well, God's a divorced person in, in some ways because he, he, he had that spiritually uh, with Israel. All right, so that, that helps set the scene here as well as there's a test going on here. What other words and phrases might you uh, want to, to think about and talk about there? One flesh. Yeah. So when you, when you see that he, he, they're no longer two but one flesh, if you just took that, how did Jesus then answer their question, is it okay to divorce your wife for any cause? It just, that's just not, it's just like, you can't tear apart one flesh. You have, you have been made one flesh, and you can't tear that apart. So it's, it's, it's not lawful. He obviously gives them the answer uh, very, very clearly, and of course they object to the answer by bringing up what? Moses. So they, they go, well, yeah, but Moses said. Now, as, as you have later in, on the bottom of your sheet there, this is the only place where Moses said this, is Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. So look at, the, look at the contrast. Jesus went to where in the Bible? He went to the very beginning. He goes to Genesis 2, which is on your sheet. Genesis 2, verse 23 and 24. That's where he goes. They go many years later to what Moses said, in uh, Deuteronomy 24, and they're saying, well, we have a conflict here. If uh, from the beginning this is said here, then why then did Moses say what he said? And that's a pretty good question, isn't it? Uh, we, we'd certainly want to know the answer ourselves, and I think there's 
a lot of folks, a lot of Christians that have struggled with that. How do I, how do I read Deuteronomy 24 uh, based on what I'm reading in uh, Genesis 2? I will give you just a little heads up on that. Uh, a good, good friend of mine and very well respected, and I, even though he's no longer with us, I still respect him greatly. Brother, Brother Homer Haley uh, taught, and I had discussions with him, he taught that in the beginning, here was the law, and then after the beginning, God changed the law to be more like what Moses said, or changed the law so that it was not really, uh, you, the divorce would be allowable and remarriage be allowable in certain situations, and then Jesus came along and reinstituted what was in the beginning. And so the law that Jesus gave was only for people who are not uh, are Christians, and it wasn't for people who are not Christians. So I'm going to throw that out. We're going to discuss that tonight, but I'm just giving you an idea. He used the phrase, in the beginning. I would like to, you to note in your text, what phrase did Jesus use? From. That's right. Jesus said, from the beginning. Ever since the beginning. So whatever Moses said was basically, a, 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 there was some other reason beside, Moses isn't superseding Genesis 1. And that's exactly what I said to Brother Haley uh, when we were talking about it personally. Uh, I said, Brother, if I were debating you, I would simply, here's how long my 20-minute uh, uh, speech would be. I would walk up to the board and write from, circle it, and, and just point out it's not in, it's from, and I would sit down and you would lose your argument. You have no argument. And he had nothing to say back to me. He said, you know, that's, I realize that was about, that was pretty much the end of that discussion. But from the beginning is pretty important. That's always been the case. It's always been the law. Proof of that is what we just mentioned a minute ago. Book of Malachi, God says, I hate divorce. It's an act of violence. So God certainly, in, in, in Moses' uh, words of Deuteronomy 24, was not somehow giving an allowance to do that because God's, God even states, under the law of Moses, Malachi is under the law of Moses, God even states, I hate this. It's an act of violence. And the tears of the woman that you divorced is going to smother the altar so that I don't accept your sacrifices. It's going to smother the fires that you are burning your sacrifice to me. So this is a very, in other words, my, my relationship with you is severed when you divorce your wife. Uh, so very, very strong words by the Lord in Malachi chapter 2. At any rate, uh, laying that out right there, we, we see then how important from the beginning. He used the phrase twice, verse 4, and in verse 8, from the beginning, it was not so. What was not so? Yeah, what Moses allowed. That's exactly right. What Moses allowed was not so. That was not the law. From the beginning, it was not so. What Moses said was a, was, had a different reason for it than was not superseding the law of Genesis 2. That's pretty simple. Why did Jesus say then that Moses had given that particular allowance? You do notice that the word allowed is used in verse 8. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. That is 
an interesting word, by the way, in the Greek. It just means to, uh, the old, I like the old King James, he suffered you to do it. <laughs> he, he put up with you doing it, uh, was, is the idea. Not he commanded you to do it. As a matter of fact, when we get to Deuteronomy 24, you're never going to see that God commanded them to do it. You'll, you'll not see that uh, at all. It's not the wording at any rate. So you can see that that, that that was so. So why did Moses allow it according to this? Hardness of their hearts. So if you look up the, the, the word hardness, what does that mean? It means to be mean. It means to be uh, unforgiving. It means to be unloving. It means to be harsh. You were harsh and mean to your wives. Apparently Israel had just basically taken on the culture of the world around them that not only married many wives but thought nothing of treating a woman as simply property that they could discard uh, even uh, to the point of uh, men swapping wives and all kinds of things going on. Apparently they had just learned that particular culture and that's the way they had done it. By the way, a little note of uh, interest here. In the first century, Jewish people did not practice polygamy. That's important to notice. They did not practice polygamy. It had gone out of favor during the Greek period. Romans didn't practice. They'd divorce and remarry. In other words, they'd have one at a time, and, and uh, you could say almost polygamous that way, but they didn't collect more than one wife. Uh, they would have a lot of lovers, and they would have a lot of that. Uh, not saying they were moral, but polygamy was not in common in the Roman Empire uh, at all. And therefore, it's important when you're reading these texts that you don't try to insert that somehow. That was not the problem of that day. It was back, of course, years before, Adam. Yeah, that's a really good question. Are there other examples of things that God basically allowed but didn't, did not favor, uh, was not what he wanted? Can you think of one right off hand? Yeah, kings, that's right. Uh, in fact, uh, I think when Paul is giving a sermon in Acts 13 or 14, one of those passages, he uh, or maybe even Stephen, he said he, he suffered them to have, you know, these kings uh, or something like that. God was very upset in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 9 and 10 when the people wanted a king. They haven't rejected you, Samuel, he said. They've rejected me to be king over them. He allowed them to do that, knowing that that was in their heart and desire. So there's some things like that. I would, I would assume, and this is where the Bible never even touches this except for Genesis 2.24. I would assume that that same thing was with polygamy, that he God put up with that with even godly men. You know, uh, uh, Abraham had a concubine wife when he wanted to have another child uh, or have a child. And, uh, and then, of course, Jacob. Uh, of the three major patriarchs, Isaac's the only one that sticks to one wife. You could argue, well, they were kind of manipulated into it in some way. Certainly Jacob was. Uh, but we have David and Solomon, of course, 
many, many of the kings. It was just the way it went. Gideon, Gideon marries uh, a number of wives, has 70 sons. No telling how many uh, girls on top of that, uh, at any rate. So th- th- those are things that would happen. Michael? Yeah, there, there, would, be, there would be things like that. Though God, uh, well, there, there would be an element of that. But God had put in place what, what we would, you know, a, a, a situation that is unfair to call slavery in today's language because it sounds like the American style of slavery. When you read in Exodus 21, you have the situation, a man gets broke, he doesn't have any money, any food, and he sells himself, and how long does he have to serve? Six years. And he works off his debt, and the master even sends him out, loading him down with goodies so that he can get a start in life. Man, would I love that. You know, there, you know that if I'm, if I'm starving, goodness, let me, let me find uh, one of these uh, uh, big homes over here in Brentwood and take me as your slave, you know. I'll, uh, I'll live in the outhouse somewhere, but, but just uh, make me your slave so I can eat and I'll serve you uh, for six years. Uh, anyway, there, there is that, uh, certainly that kind of thing. And there was uh, slavery in battle when you conquered another nation, you were allowed to take servants or slaves. You were never allowed to abuse, though. And that is one of those things that, uh, that God, God really whacked on them about. You were not allowed to um, steal a person and sell him. That was a death penalty to do that. So uh, that stuff that happened in America, that would have been death penalty for what God said. All right? Ken. Actually, instrumental music does not fit into that. Uh, God actually commanded instrumental music in the Old Testament, so much so that if you read in First Chronicles and start in First Chronicles uh, about chapter 22 and read through chapter 29, this was an order by Nathan the prophet, and God even tells Nathan to tell David who was to use the instruments, the kind of instruments to use, and the instruments were to be used in the, uh, in the temple. And Levites were the ones, designated Levites were the ones to use it. It was not something, however, that was uh, used in, in the synagogues, for example. It was only temple. We're just like, instrumental music was a, was a temple worship un, uh, uniqueness, just like animal sacrifices were. You're not allowed to offer an animal sacrifice just anywhere. You had to offer it in the temple. Well, the instrumental, instrumental music was the same way. Synagogue worship did not have instruments of music, which is why it was so easy for Jewish Christians. They just kept worshiping when they became Christians. They kept worshiping the same way they've always worshiped, in synagogues. And there was no instrument. Uh, The only difference was they added the Lord's Supper. We do everything today on Sunday that Jews did in the synagogue with the exception of uh, having uh, the Lord's Supper. We have the Lord's Supper, and of course they didn't but we do exactly the same thing. That was synagogue worship. Temple worship was very unique, but it was commanded. It wasn't an allowance. It was something that happened. By the way, that is a subject that I think would be important for us to use our Sunday evening class period one time in the month this year to actually go over and talk about and have a discussion about. So we will save that for that, but thank you for that. All right. Um, 
All right, uh, so some of the things, another thing I would notice with you uh, is you will notice the question in verse 3, is it lawful to divorce? Notice the word that they use is divorce. The word Jesus uses in verse 6 is the word separate. Let not man separate. So God condemns both. Separate is the same Greek word that is used later in 1 Corinthians 7 when he, when he actually says, a woman who is married to a man, let her not separate from him. I, I hear people today sometimes saying, well, I didn't divorce him, we just separated. La, di, da, you know. That's, uh, uh, Jesus uses that interchangeably. They are different words, but they're used interchangeably. In fact, that word, carizo, which is the Greek word for separate, is used all the way through the book of Acts when it says, and Paul departed from Athens. Departed is how it's, uh, how it's used. So that's the same word that's used all the way through there. Uh, at any rate, you see that, uh, that uniqueness there. Um, anything else in that text that you think we ought to talk about? Okay. All right. Yeah, go ahead, Drew. be a question we will talk about in future uh, classes, but what you bring up is very important. Uh, this was not a culturally accepted teaching that Jesus just gave, as the apostles indicate when they turn around and say, well, it's just better not even to get married if that's the case. So this was way anti-cultural, just as it is today. Of course, I can remember, I'll give you how old I am, but I can remember when this would, would be culturally correct. Uh, in the 50s and even in the 60s, you know, that most people understood that you get a divorce, it's only because of immorality. It was just those movie stars that did it, you know, otherwise, too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Among the general populace. What I was going to say to Drew's comment, I was thinking about as well, Jesus' response is genius, but he's responding to a group of people who believe in Jehovah. So where does he go for his answer? He doesn't give his answer. Right. He goes back and says, let me give you God's answer. Yeah. And this audience would have said, oh, well, okay, he's authority. Right. You can't really say that in society. Yeah. Because who knows if they believe in yeah. Jehovah. That's right. And But, but th that is has to always be the approach. Uh, I'm not going to give you my opinion, and this is the way I have always handled it with people. Let's just go read it. I'll let you draw the conclusion. And it was not, it's not hard to draw the conclusion when you read it. And so we'll, we'll just see what is being said. And I let people draw their own conclusion. And they usually have about the same rep response as the apostles. Oh, what? <laughs> That's... Uh, a little bit amazing. All right, so Genesis 2, this is where Jesus, of course, quotes. We go back to that just for a second. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to take this off and cough in a second here. 
<coughs> that doesn't even. Oh, oh, Newton here. I mean, he he gets the best mics in the whole world. Uh, it doesn't matter if you were to uh, uh, take and put uh, uh, asbestos around them or something. I don't know. They're they're going to. Yeah, yeah, but you ha you know how long you have to push that button for it to go off. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Newton and I were talking beforehand. On radio, they have cough buttons, and they can hit that button real quickly, and you never know. All right, so Genesis 2. The man said, this is, of course, this is when the woman was created and brought to him. The man said, this is, this is, uh, this is at last is, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. <clears throat> Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they should become one flesh. Now, I'm going to suggest to you there are six laws that you can conclude from this particular text. Six laws. So uh, let's name them. Let's list them. What, do you, what are they? <coughs> What's the first positive law that's given here? The law, what, what authority has he just given here? Yeah, he's given the authority for a man and a woman to be united in one flesh and, and to be married. Uh, we, sometimes we don't realize this, but we don't get to do anything just because we feel like doing it. We have to have authority for what we're doing. So when God creates man and woman and brings the woman to the man, he's saying, I am now authorizing the two of you to become one flesh together and to live together, and I'm making you one. And Jesus' conclusion is, if I'm making you one, then you're not allowed to separate. So the first positive, the first law is, and the law of authority, he's authorizing uh, a man and a woman to get married. Great. What is he not authorizing because of that? Yeah, anything else. Any other sexuality outside of that, so you could list some. Prohibition of homosexuality. You didn't say a man and a man could do that, or a woman and a woman can do that. So it's a pro prohibition of homosexuality. Why? Because there's no authority for it. That's the root cause. From, remember Jesus uses, from the beginning. It's always been so. Here's the law. It's the root reason it is sinful. He did not give authority for it. Sometimes people run all over the Bible and show you places where he condemned it and all that. That's fine, well and good. But the root reason is there's no authority. What else? Prohibition of? Pardon? Okay. <laughs> Bestiality. He condemns that in Leviticus 18. Prohibition of? Polygamy. Okay, that's right. Two shall become one. Jesus even uses that phrase. The two shall become one flesh. So the prohibition of polygamy. Prohibition of? Child marriage? Yeah, uh, of course. A man and a woman, not uh, children here. Uh, all right, so you, you're, now you're listing a whole lot more than I've uh, even wrote down <laughs> on, on the sheet. Uh, but uh, yeah, and a prohibition against adultery, uh, uh, sexual relations outside of marriage, or sexual relations prior to marriage. 
All of these things are prohibitions. And of course, Jesus draws the conclusion of prohibition of divorce. All right? When were the prohibitions given? From the beginning. That answers all the questions people give. Is, is this law only for Christians, or is this law for non-Christians too? Or is this law for people who haven't come to Christ? Is this law for... Jesus answered that from the beginning. Nobody was a Christian when Adam and Eve were formed. There was no uh, special law or laws for people. There was no church. There was no, marriage is not a church institution. It's this institution that God brought about and created from the beginning. And it's always been the same. It's never changed. And that is an important uh, consideration here. So you can see those all the way from the beginning. If divorce was condemned in the beginning, then certainly all these other things, all these other sexualities and stuff that would happen outside of one man with one woman are prohibited. That's a really, really important text to, to notice and draw those conclusions. Questions about that or comments? He didn't create three guys and three women. He yeah. put, them on, put them in the garden. That's right. He basically defined the proper yeah. union by only creating. That's two. right. And, and he defined gender, as we seem to be struggling with today, male and a female. God didn't have a third category or a fourth category or something like that. He defined what that is from the beginning. And that's the way it's always been. So we want to follow God's law. We're just going to stick with that. All right, the final text for tonight is in Deuteronomy 24. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 24. And uh, this text is in 1 through 4. This is, this is uh, 20, Deuteronomy 24 is the conclusion of a number of laws that uh, sometimes people have referred to as contingency legislation. This goes back to what Wayne was talking about in the beginning of our uh, class here when he talked about something being legal but not necessarily lawful. Uh, and, and I'll give you some examples of this. In Exodus 21, he said, if a man beats his slave or his servant and he knocks his tooth out or... Uh, he knocks an eye out. What does he have to do? Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Beat your servant, knock his tooth out, or knock an eye out. What do you have to do? What did you say? You have to release him. That's right. You have to let him go free. So, it's perfectly okay to beat the tar out of your servant as long as you just, just make sure it doesn't show. You know, don't go hitting him in the face. You might knock a tooth out or an eye out and you lose your servant. Or if you're just sick and tired of him and want him to leave anyway, go ahead and knock his tooth out because you're so mad at him. Would you draw that conclusion? We all say, well, that's a silly conclusion. Exactly. A silly conclusion because the Lord said, love your neighbor as yourself. You wouldn't do those things. But he gives laws, and Wayne said it, in a theocracy in which he is governing not just 
morality, but he's governing how this whole society is going to operate. And there are certain things that he is laying out as punishments, though not completely in this life. Bottom line is, you would say, uh, God's going to take care of the rest of that later about a guy who beats his servant and doesn't show love for his neighbor or show love for a servant. How many times does he say, look, uh, the man who dwells among you, he's a sojourner, even a servant. You used to be servants. You need to treat them with the kind of, of respect and honor and gentleness that you, you would have wanted to be treated when you were in Egypt. So it's not suggesting that it was that, it was that way. And you'll see a number of laws that are that way. If, uh, if, if a man found a woman and he slept with her and, and he's there found out, he has to pay dad 50 shekels of silver, he has to marry her, and he's never allowed to divorce her his whole life. Now, what's God trying to do? Well, okay, if, if you're going to have sex before marriage, just remember, you've got to pay 50 shekels of silver and you've you got to marry her and you can never divorce her. So it's okay to do it as long as you're willing to pay those? No, that's not the case. So these are things which God brings up that are contingent. And you'll see it in words like, when this happens and if this happens, then here is what has to happen. And God's trying to put limitations on these people's hardness of heart and wickedness and things like that. He's trying to keep that in... And you can ask God when you get there why he does that. I, I, you know, of course, I'd have probably been totally different, which he is with us today. This isn't a theocracy. We live in a government that we have to submit to, but God has said, My, your kingdom rules are going to be very, very strict. All right, so Deuteronomy 24. Notice the words when he says, when and if. When a man, by the way, ESV and most all of these, the, especially the newer translations, are very, I've, I've checked the Hebrew on this repeatedly, very literal in how they, how they render this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if, notice that, circle that, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then, so you see the when, the if, and the then, then her husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. All right, did God ever, did God command a man to divorce his wife if he found an indecency in her? He did not. He just said, when a man does. He's talking about what culturally happens. When a man does, there you go. Did he command that the woman or authorize the woman to go and marry somebody else? No, he didn't. He says, if she goes and marries somebody else. And then, of course, the latter man doesn't like her, divorces her, he dies. Then he says, then here's the deal. I'm not allowing you to take her back, the original husband. I'm not allowing you to take her back. That is an abomination to me. My guess is 
some of the things that, because of the commandment, some of the things that may have been happening were husbands yakking together going, you know, I think your wife is gorgeous. And the other guy says, I think yours is too. And I'm sick and tired of mine. He says, I am too. You divorce yours, I'll divorce mine. And, we'll... and God's like, you're not doing this business. You're not, we're... he's trying to put some stops to their immorality without just completely correcting the whole thing. Again, you can ask God about that. Uh, when you get there, I'd like to too. Why allowances and things why not just make here's the rule and the law? But God obviously had good reasons for it. Now, one of the things that uh, you might notice here, first off, notice in, uh, in verse 3, he talks about the latter man. The Hebrew there, the word man, is translated from the Hebrew word Adam. Adam and Eve. They might have said it, Adam. But here is simply, if a man. He refers to the second person who marries her as this latter man. But when you, when you look at verse 4, it says, Then her former husband. He speaks of the first man as the husband, the second man as simply a man. The first man, husband, Hebrew word, we would understand, recognize it easily. The god Baal, or then pronounced more Baal, it meant master, owner. Yeah. So he's, saying, he's making a differentiation between the men. The man who divorced was husband, owner, Baal. The man who married her afterwards is just man. He is, he is just that, that, that that's that. He, she married another man. Notice also the phrase used in verse 4, he can't take her back after she has been defiled. Defiled. Okay, we'll conclude with this. Turn over to Matthew chapter, 20, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' words in verse 28 and 29, excuse me, verse, 20, verse 31 and 32. Matthew 5, 31 and 32. It was also said, now five times that phrase is used in chapter 5, it was also said. He's not saying it was written. Matthew makes a big differentiation with that. He's not saying it was written. He's saying this is the rabbinical teaching. It was said. Okay? It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. What passage do you think they're referencing? Pretty simple, isn't it? Deuteronomy 24. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. How would he make her commit adultery based on the text of Deuteronomy 24? Yeah, she goes and marries another. Or she's not being forced to do it, 
but he is leaving her in a situation that would be very difficult for her to live at that time, and the tendency would be for her to go find somebody else. And what he's saying is, you are part and parcel. Does you think, oh, I'm real free because I can just give her a certificate of divorce and send her away and everything's fine, but you are culpable in this. You have, notice the words, you've, uh, and, and I like the King James here, you've caused her. You've caused her to commit adultery. You've made her an adulteress. And whoever marries this divorced woman has committed adultery. That explains Deuteronomy 24.4, after she's been defiled. She's become an adulteress. And I won't want you to take her back at that particular point. So you can see how that blends together, those two texts. All right. Quick final question or anything? We're out of time, about out of time here. All right. You can think about that. Maybe if you have other comments or questions you want to make about it the next time we uh, meet uh, on this, that would be great. But I hope that helps give you a start, and uh, then we can go, to there, go from there, <coughs> talk about some of the things that Jesus uh, talked about further in Matthew 19. All right, we're going to sing a song right now, and uh, if there's any way we can help anyone here, you're certainly welcome to make that be known, and step forward to the front, we can talk about that or talk to one of us uh, afterwards while we stand and while we sing.